Welcome to the Scholar Tea. You came back for more. <laughs> I'm Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna. And we are scholars ready to give you some tea. It's delicious. It's Lipton. Oh, that's some cheap ass <laughs> shit. Oh, wait. I said I wasn't going to cuss at the very beginning. Oh, I don't know why you keep making that promise. <sighs> Let's okay. take a little temperature. How are we feeling today? Oh, well, before we start. Okay. Can, can I say something? Please. Okay. So I am a type A personality. I hate typos. I am the person that will correct her text messages if there's a typo in it. And I use the wrong your, right? Like mm. it was you are your mm-hmm. instead of your, you know, you own it. Mm-hmm. I correct my text messages. I double, triple check most emails to make sure they're all correct. So I made a mistake in the podcast and Charles, my husband, thinks it's hilarious and it's bothering the hell out of me and I got to share So remember when we did the random question of the week and I was like listing off all the words that bother me and get under my skin? I did the very thing that I hate people doing. If y'all go back to the last episode, you'll hear me say all intensive purposes. It's all intents and purposes. I'm very aware. I know that. (laughs) It was finals week. I was working off three hours of sleep that day when we were recording. Like I was out of it. And it's still grinding my gears a little bit that then I fell into the trap and said all intensive purposes, just like everybody else. And Charles was like, oh, yeah, you made some other shit up. You said all extensive. That's not even a thing. And I was like, yeah, I know. So I need to just own that and clarify that and let people know it is still getting under my skin. And nobody noticed that but your husband that you go home and sleep with every night. (laughs) But it's really been a thing. Like I listen to it. I hear it. I'm like, oh, it's intents and purposes. And also it's an educational moment for people out there. You stay educating the people. Yeah, I just don't want to reify the fact that it is not all intensive. <laughs> like Vaseline. It is intense. <laughs> that intensive care though. <laughs> Be working in the wintertime, especially around here. I had my heat on the other day. It's June. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But I just had to get that off my chest. We can check our mood. All right, so if your mood was a game, what would it be and why? I have to go first? You don't have to. Okay. I just looked. <laughs> I'm going to do a drinking game. And shout out to Dr. DeAndre Thompson, who taught us this game called Up the River, Down the River. Are you familiar? Mm-mm. It's a drinking game, and it can get you pretty lit. But it's a fun, engaging, entertaining. It's kind of like the luck of the draw where you're taking drinks or you get to assign drinks. It's my mood for today in the sense of I'm ready to engage, have fun, kiki. Because at the end of the game, everybody got where they needed to get to and ready to just have a good time. I would say mine is spoons. I guess that could be a drinking game as well. Oh, I thought it was a drinking game. I mean, you know, (laughs) in high school, we would drink hot sauce. Oh. You didn't want to get stuck. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You Detroit rats are a different breed. (laughs) We didn't do that in Indianapolis. I call myself a nap rat. We didn't do that in Indianapolis. Whatever. I actually learned how to do it there. So. But uh, for those that are not aware of what Spoons is, it's this wonderful game. It's like musical chairs and you have spoons in the middle, but there's always just enough. Like there's always one missing for the number of people in the circle and you play a card. And once your your play is correct and you can pull a spoon, you do. And hell breaks loose after that. I don't like playing that with certain people. People Mm. get too aggressive. I have scars of when people have injured me and you know who you are and you know what you did. (laughs) And to this day, like, it's a very um, wedge in our friendship because people just take it a little too far just to win a freaking game. Beware of the spoon offenders. I've never injured anyone long term, but I'm not going to lie and say, like, I haven't, like, smashed someone's hand with my hand. Jumped over a table or two. We did break a table once. It's too violent. (laughs) But all that to say, I'm willing to do what it takes to get the job done. And that's how I'm feeling today. You need to play with a certain someone that we both know. <laughs> you two can have each other. For the record, who is it? DeAndre. Oh, well. DeAndre injured me and John. Oh, well, see, here's the thing. I always beat DeAndre. Oh, see that? Oh, I would watch y'all play. I would not <laughs> play with y'all, but I would watch y'all play. I would definitely watch that. Oh, yeah. Courtney's I, aggressive, too. Watch out for Courtney. I can't. Yeah, Courtney's I think Courtney aggressive. could get me, though. Like, But I can manipulate DeAndre. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. okay. That's our mood today. It's going to be a fun one.
Mm-hmm. I think they hear the excitement, right? The excitement in our voice yeah. for today's episode. So we're going to highlight our Scholar of the Week. Uh, do you know he's my brother scholar? Like Chris Salinas? Oh. Yes. Cristobal Salinas Jr. Dr. Cristobal Salinas Jr. is my dear. I didn't know that. Yeah, dear friend. Yeah. Dear huh. PhDs at Iowa State together. Collaborated, written together. Life advice, dating advice, therapy. Yep. Chris Salinas. <laughs> so we're going to highlight his important work that he is doing. We have a hot topic talking about the left-leaning nature of higher education. I think we both have some thoughts about some recent conversations that have been had um, on the social medias. Our conversation with Lori, Dr. Lori Patton Davis, President Dr. Lori Patton Davis, <laughs> full professor Dr. Lori Patton Davis, is stepping into the scholarly to share her wisdom, her love, her joy, um, and her energy with us. So we are so grateful for her time. And you all are going to learn something, as usual with Dr. Patton Davis. We're going to talk about what's problematic for us. We're going to do some jokes of the week and we're going to send you on your way until next time. So let's get into it. So our scholar of the week this week is Cristobal Salinas. Chris Salinas Jr. recently joined the faculty of Florida Atlantic University's College of Education as an assistant professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Research Methodology. He holds a PhD in higher education from Iowa State University. Go Cyclone. I'm going to stop. Stop with you. Stop. Like, I did not do this. Like, all this, our scholars of the week these past few weeks, I'm just saying. There's no. A, there's a Cyclone connection the, in the academy. You can't help it. <laughs> there is this connection, but this is some amazing work. Chris also co-edited Iowa's Community Colleges and Collective History of 50 Years of Accomplishment, which was published in 2015. Dr. Salinas migrated from Mexico to the U.S. during middle school, forcing him to adapt to a new culture while learning a new language. These experiences provided him with an awareness and understanding of the challenges that many multicultural students face within education. It is from these experiences that he frames his teaching and research interests. Dr. Salinas's research explores the economic, social, and political context of educational opportunities for historically marginalized communities, with an emphasis on Latino-Latina students. He seeks to analyze their experiences in education. He is accomplishing this focus through three related lines of inquiry, unpacking how Latino-Latina students experience and negotiate higher education environments, interrogating the very notion of masculinity, race, and ethnicity in higher education, and exploring the socialization of Latino-Latina students into the academy. Make sure that you're letting him know that his work is valued and acknowledged and much, much needed because he is doing some amazing things out there. Find him on the Twitter and on the Facebook. Our hot topic this week is um, circulating around Pat. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is what my my mater provides. We get Patricia Doherty's. <laughs> And within the last month, Patricia Doherty wrote a scathing article about the left-leaning nature of higher education associations in The Federalist. In particular, she critiqued her recent experience at the American College Personnel Association Convention in Houston, where she observed changes to the space that she was not particularly fond of. Some of these changes included gender-neutral restrooms, trigger warnings, grammatical errors, read the utilization of they, them, theirs, a focus on the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization, a reporting station for bias incidents, and radicalized presentations with titles like Racial Justice and Decolonization Can't Happen Without Disrupting Monoracism, The Cost of Avoiding Discomfort, Addressing White Supremacy in Student Affairs, and White People Owning Our Whiteness and Resistance. The crux of Patricia's article rested on the political indoctrinization of staff and students by way of overly liberal faculty. She views this practice as dogmatic and alarming, because it creates tunnel vision in a way that quote unquote is unhealthy for our students. Sherry K. Watt, ACPA senior scholar and professor of higher education and student affairs program at the University of Iowa, wrote an open letter in response to Patricia's article. In situating my beloved ACPA, Dr. Watt stated, I also pondered questions that centered more on her critiques of the profession. Was there any thread of truth that I could omit? How does our profession address the divide that places the politically right often associated with majority groups against the left, generally aligned with minoritized groups. Where is the line between our professional values and political ideology? What is the place of personal voice and experiences in transforming systems of exclusion? Are our professional practices leading to changes in systems of exclusion that are deep and pervasive, not just superficial and performed? She went on to write, Doherty did not share her blog in a classroom setting. 
She does not appear to take a learning posture. She is not seeking ways to understand how to facilitate explorations of race and identity in college. She does not appear curious about the various strategies invoked by the association to examine and disrupt social inequality within institutions perpetuated by racism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, etc. She's unnecessarily condescending and her quote-unquote truth displays ignorance about history and the current day evolution of humanity, the profession, and society. The overall tone of her message is fraught with triggering language of the divisive partisan politics of the day. Yet underneath the vitriol, she presents a point of view that seems a common reaction from conservative whites and a perspective about current day strategy to fight injustice that leaders in the higher education and student affairs field need to reflect on. I want to take a learning posture. I do have several concerns with the fact that it seems we have fortified long existing divides to the extent it has become challenging for multiple perspectives and viewpoints to persist in one space. I also take issue with those who can't understand the ways identity has always politicized and that underrepresented folk bear the burden of trying to disentangle their bodies from what is perceived to be a quote unquote difference in opinion. Still, Cameron, what are your thoughts on this critique? Colleges and universities are too left leaning. I don't care. I don't, not that I don't care about this topic. I don't care that people think that. I remember when I was teaching at Iowa State, there was a time when I was like, oh, I have to be neutral. So my first teaching evaluations, <laughs> one of the feedback was, I always knew when he disagreed with me because his face would turn up. <laughs> 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 and I would get like really conservative students from farmland. Not that all people that come from farms are conservative, mm-hmm. but it was these were very rural students. So um, many of the concepts and ideas that I was presenting And it could have been the most basic thing, but it was extreme for them, right? And for me, I was like, oh, I need to remain neutral. So in the learning space, people are welcome to come into the space and explore. And there can be some growth through that process of learning. Until, it was until 2015, the current president was running for primary. And Iowa is like a beaming ground of those primary processes, right? So they come into the state fair. They're coming to football games. Like these candidates are everywhere all over Iowa all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest of the country isn't dealing with that yet. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, I mean, the rhetoric of the entire race, but like it was very kind of vitriol as soon as that person started running for office. And it was just coming up in the classroom, right? I think the first thing he said was like Mexican were rapists and, and all those things when he announced. And I was teaching a summer bridge course where half of the students in the course identified as Latinx and just could not understand how somebody running for office could be taken seriously for that. There were some students in there that were like, yay, let's go such and such. I, I don't say his name. <laughs> um, let's go such and such. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's let's have everyone do their political view, right? Like everyone can share through the conversation that we were having. And then it got to the point of being neutral was being complacent with some of the bullshit that was being mm-hmm. said, right? And I and I know stepping out of that, some conservative students could see me as a lip, I'm limp or whatever. And then it got to the point as the race continued, as we got into the presidential election, for me, it got to a place where I was unapologetic at that point, And like my liberal views were going to come out. That's political liberal views. There's also, I think, just views around justice that I think are then rooted in a, in a liberal political framing anyway. So talking about race, talking about gender, talking about sexual orientation, talking about class, and the way you talk about it in a justice framework, people are automatically going to label, no matter if you come out as quote-unquote liberal or not. I honestly don't define myself as a liberal. I think I'm more of a progressive, right, as far as political stance. But really thinking about that. The other side of that is when I was confronted with it, I used to take students to Sweden each summer. So for three summers, I took students to Sweden on a month-long study abroad trip at Iowa State. And I would have conservative students come with me. Sweden is just a socially democratic country. They're unapologetic about it. It's how they live their lives. It's the history of the country and the political system and and how it's set up. They have universal health care. They have, right, paid time off for both parents that it's a year long, right? We would see them as extreme liberal views. And we were in a meeting with a women's studies professor and she's just casually talking about abortion. It's pretty casual, right? And I see my conservative students like cringing. And then we leave the meeting. The student pulls me aside and she is pissed like she's like this is not a space for conservative students and how dare you bring me here to push your liberal agenda and I'm just like okay you understand this is a different country who has different priorities and different values that are different from yours so how can you explore that 
while also thinking about defining why do you believe what you believe and where does that come from, mm-hmm. right? And from then on, I was just like, okay, I'm going to be, no matter what I do or what I say, my body within itself is seen as liberal for some people. For me, it just became a space of like, I'm no longer going to be even apologetic or even try to walk a line of neutrality when in many cases being neutral is then being complacent to some beliefs that I don't stand for. The thing I have a hard time with is how we use the word politics or politicizing to code or mask what we're actually talking about. Like, I get that politics has a lot to do with how we are treated, how we're framed, how we're perceived, um, the experiences and opportunities we have access to. But at the end of the day, it's just racism, right? (laughs) Right? So like when people say, oh, we don't talk politics at the table or, oh, we don't talk about politics in this setting. Using the word politics to frame people's experiences and to frame how societies treat minoritized folks as it relates to their identities, it's another vehicle by which you can ignore trying to really deconstruct some of those experiences as it relates to their positionality within a state or within a society, Mm -hmm. right? And so it bothers me. It's sort of like when we talk about framing white supremacy or white supremacist rhetoric in a way where it's it's nice when you talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think about politics as a word in that way too. Mm -hmm. Thinking about some of the circles I interact with, like when they'll talk about everything else, you could dog out so-and-so's wife, but don't start talking about politics. Like that really bothers me. And so when people start talking about how higher education has become more liberal or left-leaning, I'm like, or we're actually just exploring other people's experiences for once, damn it. Like, why why are you so resistant to that? Nobody's trying to push themselves onto you. We're just examining different ways of life. And that's my issue with like, for me, it's removing Republican Democrat. But I mm-hmm. think about people that are, are conservative and have conservative values and asking me, am I liberal because I'm black or whatever the case might be? If people were conservative and had conservative ideologies, I'd still be a slave, right? Mm-hmm. Like I always think about like, what, what does it mean to be a progressive and where are we trying to progress to? And what does that look like? And what does that mean as a collective, right? The other thing with this Patricia lady, hey, Pat. Patricia, you listening? Pat. Excuse me, Pat. That's what I call her. Patty Pat. You can came to ACPA. You didn't know what she was coming to? I feel like, was she sent here by the Federalist to write that? Like, what did you think you were stepping into? Even though you've been gone for years, I think the imperative for racial justice and decolonization has been out there. What ACPA has felt like and been as far as a space for social justice education has been at least for 10 years since I've been going. I think it's obviously moved along. But even when I went as a graduate student, I felt like, oh, okay, this is, feels very different than other conventions that I've been to. If that's how you feel, and that's your ideology and those are your values what did you think you were walking into mm-hmm. privilege is a hell of a drug Mm-mm-mm. but um can we give a shout out to dr sherry watt that was an academic read that she gave so take some notes on how to read people in these academic streets it was so eloquent and all the receipts and i love it articulate thank you senior scholar <laughs> i was being facetious i know you were i was talking to the people oh, okay Today we have Dr. Lori Patton Davis, a wonderful, fabulous woman in higher education. Uh, Lori, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. So first of all, thank you, uh, Shauna and Cameron, for inviting me to uh, be a part of Scholar T. Uh, I'm excited for both of you. I think this is a wonderful platform, so I'm hoping that it continues to grow. So I am currently a faculty member, professor at Indiana University and president of the Association for the Study of Higher Education. And my research primarily focuses on issues of race and racism in higher ed, intersectionality, college student development, diversity initiatives such as cultural centers. Uh, In my spare time, I love binge-watching Netflix. Yes. Mm. What are you watching right now? Uh, the last thing I binged was Dear White People because I just love it. Get her, get her. Lori, I just said this to Shauna. She has watched none of it, season one or two. What? What? Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Get her. Mm-hmm. I, I've been watching Hoarders and Big Love. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
Mm-mm. Your life is incomplete right now. <laughs> your life is incomplete. I also just heard, though, that it's just a recreation of my work life. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, I think I love it because of the depiction of black women on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, black mm-hmm. life, period. If ever a person was to say, you know, black people are all the same, look no further. Like, I really think the show does a really good job of just showing the diversity that exists Mm. um, and the issues. I just love that show. But yeah, and I watch Walking Dead right now. It's on Fear the Walking Dead. Your tweets crack me up when you're watching. (laughs) I used to watch reality TV to sort of serve as this background while I'm working, but now I'm actually stopping that to just watch shows, like Mm -hmm. take some time out and just watch and enjoy and not be caught in anybody else's messiness, which is (laughs) what I sometimes think about reality shows. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. So Lori, you bring a unique perspective to research and scholarship. So what informs the ways in which you choose to investigate, to frame your research and your practice? I know I definitely want to explore questions that really haven't received attention or questions that are provocative and not provocative for the sake of being provocative, but prompt people to think, damn, I never thought about that, you know, or we need to do something about that or we need to be thinking about this in a different way. So uh, with much of the work I do, I just try to tap into questions that are perhaps a reflection of some of my own experiences or things that I've seen occur in higher education. I'm very much inspired and I get a lot of ideas from social media. Yeah, uh, I always want to ask questions that in some way grapple with power structures. Mm. So, you know, one of the studies that I'm still working on it, I published a little bit on it, but it was a provocative question to me you know, given the context I'm in in Indiana, uh, around black undergraduate women who go missing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about, you know, um, this missing persons thing as something that affects black communities. For sure, what we know is around white women who go missing, Mm -hmm. honestly. And it's only really recently where there's been some attention um, about black women, you know, how law enforcement and the police and uh, the media, how they respond to that, but it's been an interesting study to conduct because it's data that's really not out there, so you have to kind of use Google and all of these other search engines to create data to talk about black women who've gone missing. So in some ways, they're missing from the literature and, you know, missing in their real lives, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the structures in place uh, and the disposability around the lives of black women. We're, you know, less likely to look for them or, you know, care that they're missing or if they're found, they're judged. So that is what I'm really seeking to do, sort of bring some voices to the table, um, voices that we don't typically hear about and think about how these experiences are situated within, you know, these various power structures that are really designed to keep people voiceless. Hmm. How do you go about deconstructing perceptions of effortless perfection? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I know, given, you know, where I am in my career, I always get people who come to me and they're like, I just don't know how you're doing all of that and, you know, how you're able to produce so much and all of that. And I really do think that it is a perception and mm-hmm. that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Like behind the scenes, people are, you know, really working hard. You know, you have a space like Facebook where people tend to celebrate all of these, you know, accomplishments and things coming their way. And there's less posting about the struggle or the trajectory to get to some accomplishment. The rejection, And yeah. so I think that leaves a lot of people in the space where they're like, I'm not doing enough or I need to do more. And uh, I just try to encourage people to really just do you, be yourself, do what matters to you and what you're passionate about. And things will fall into place. But we can't use the wealth of accomplishments that we see online or things we hear about as the test or the standard for the work that we do. 
I honestly don't think there's a way to go about scholarship or research or teaching or any of these things in a way that should lead other people to think that it's perfection, that it's easy, that it just happens because that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. That's just not the reality of how things are. I think to get to a place where, you know, we're in this higher ed bubble or faculty life bubble, academic bubble where the piece you just published or the award you just got, like those things are valued and yes, they're important. But in all of that, there has to be time to take care of yourself, to take care of yourself mentally and to not sweat, you know, what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. Like you just got to be committed and passionate about the work that you do and not worried about what others are doing. It can really be a stressor for people who, you know, maybe it's taken them four years to do an article, right, (laughs) or do a piece that keeps getting rejected. And so that doesn't really feel like perfection. But when it does get published, then you, you know, you kind of get a sense of the reward and the accomplishment around what you're doing. Lori, I know one thing that I'm super excited about um, professionally this year is to be in, in space at the Association for the Study of Higher Education and specifically this year with the theme, right, Envisioning the Woke Academy. We would love for you to share with the people um, and talk through what are your aims for the association through your tenure? Um, what are we looking forward to for conference? Oh, goodness. So I'm excited about that theme, too. I really want AS 2018 to be a space where we're really thinking about what it means to have research that not just makes a difference, but one, again, that sort of raises the consciousness among scholars who do higher ed research. I think there are several topics that we have pretty much beat to death in higher ed, and the call for program uh, is a prime example of how we really wanted to reshape the work that people submitted to make it more inclusive, to challenge our colleagues to think about critical methodologies and strategies for going about their work. I wanted to be just this, for lack of a better word, I just wanted to be this woke space, right? But I also wanted to be a space where we critique. So I think societally speaking, higher ed is really positioned as this, you know, equalizer and, you know, great investment. But I am also convinced of it, and, you know, literature and evidence shows this, that Higher education also does a fine job of, of fueling inequality, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wanted to be a space where work that might not typically be seen on an ASH program is welcomed, which is why there's the new section in the program on community-engaged research. We've talked, I don't know, for decades about the need for higher education institutions to be more connected to the surrounding community, but that hasn't been an area that has been central to Ash. And so having that as part of the call for programs was really important. Um, With the actual conference, I am working on speakers. I won't say too many names because no one has agreed, but I'm working hard to get some wonderful speakers. (laughs) And I am also really committed to doing some work beyond Ash for... I want to say maybe in 2013, that was the first time Ash began to do a service project. Mm. It had been done maybe once or twice after 2013. And so this is the year where I want to bring that back and to do it in uh, a very explicit and intentional way, you know, for how we we as an association go to a space. Um, I don't want us to just be stuck in the hotel or the convention center. I want to provide opportunities Mm. for us to think about how our work really affects communities and how what communities are doing and how they're living should, you know, in turn affect our work and the questions that we ask. Um, So there will be some opportunities for our members to be engaged uh, with communities in Tampa. Uh, The other thing, so I'm toying with this idea, and I talked with the grad student representatives about really having a more contemplative space at ASH, even though it is a great academic conference and I've often had, you know, really good experiences. I can't say that that's always been the experience for some other people. Mm-hmm. And so I really uh, want it to be an inclusive space that, uh, you know, honors people's diverse ways of thinking, their diverse knowledges. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit. I, I feel like I can't say much. I don't want to. The cat can't be too early. 
Um, but one thing um, that has been happening, uh, and I don't know if you all have seen this, from year to year, ASH involvement really centers around the conference. But with this presidency, I really wanted to find ways to sort of keep members engaged in between conferences. And so mm-hmm. I came up with this idea to do uh, the woke research methodology series. Those have been amazing. I like them. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I'm just excited about them, and I hope they continue. Uh, again, I think there are diverse ways that we can approach research and think about research, but it's not always centered uh, in an explicit and intentional way. And so that was my goal with these methodologies, to get a range of scholars who are doing, you know, these diverse methodologies, whether quantitative or qualitative, and to talk about, you know, their work and their research and, you know, how they go about framing that work so that it's critical. I'm excited about that. I am in the process of trying to figure out how I can do a woke academy syllabus. So you know about the lemonade syllabus mm-hmm. and the, the Black Lives Matter syllabus. I'm trying to do a woke academy syllabus. Come on, crowdsourcing. Because I would just love to have this identified set of readings and materials for members to really be thinking about. Can we also get a woke academy playlist? Oh, you know what? I actually have one. So <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> created the video, the Uh conference video, Uh, she actually created a playlist for me. I just haven't done anything with it. I've been busy, Mm. but a playlist is a coming. Okay, okay. Um, sorry, just really quickly to follow up. What do you say to people that critique that direction for the association, right? So this, who are we leaving out when we talking about envisioning the Woke Academy? How do you respond to people that are, that are critical of that? Oh, I don't, because they sleep. <laughs> I don't have, you know, I realized that uh, when I came up with that theme, I realized, wow, there are going to be some people who are like, what is woke? You know, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Uh, and there are other people who are familiar with it and like, oh, this term needs to be retired and all of that. You know, people are entitled to their opinions. I can say that in my time as a member of ASH since 2005, I've not liked every president's theme. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't need people to love the theme, but mm-hmm. I do need them to love the spirit behind it which is to say I need them to love the idea of advancing higher ed research to ensure that it stays and in some instances gets to a critical space where we're asking these really important questions about who gets to access our institutions and, you know, who gets to choose what the curriculum is and and what's important and how do our institutions sort of fuel the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there are some real Mm -hmm. questions out there that we need to be grappling with that we don't. Like, I was reading on Twitter, I believe there was just a school shooting, Santa Fe High School in Texas, right? How are our scholars really grappling with gun violence? Uh, in high school, and what does that mean as these students in Mm. high school prepare to go to college? Like, I just want us to really think about the sociopolitical context in which higher education is occurring. So, I mean, you know, people can have their opinions. I respect that. They got to respect mine. And if they want to change the the theme, then they can run for president, right? Y'all heard her. (laughs) 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 Lori, what does it mean to you to spill the tea as a black scholar, particularly when some of those luscious tea leaves involve our skin folk? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I think there's a way to spill tea without name calling or, you know, naming people. There's a lot of tea in our academic space that is worth talking about. And for me, I think it's more about dealing with particular issues um, and then on the side dealing with people, especially skin folk, right? Mm -hmm. And even though they're skin folk, there are some folks who are skin folk but not kin folk. Mm -hmm. Hello, Zora. Yeah. (laughs) I'm much more interested in not necessarily spilling tea on people but spilling tea on issues. Mm -hmm. As a black woman, I never want to be in a space where I feel like I have to compete with other black women. And I haven't felt that. But if I did, that is an issue that is worth talking about without having to spill tea on the particular woman that I have to compete with. Spilling tea or, you know, uh, talking about, you know, things going on. Some things may not need to have a public conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) 
well, they come out anyway. Some things might not need a public <laughs> conversation, but I think we as scholars all each have our own circles where we can, you know, unpack things and be more explicit about them. But for the sake of a larger audience and this idea around spilling tea, I really think it's important that we talk about, you know, issues, whether it's competition or this big issue that I've seen, and Shauna, we're supposed to be writing about this, this academic superstardom, right? Yes, ma'am. There, there are just some things that need some unpacking. I'm hoping through this podcast of you all that you, you know, uh, get into some of that, but I don't believe in naming names unless it is absolutely necessary. I would rather deal with the issue. Mm-hmm. Y'all hear that, people? But I think that's the intention of this space, too, mm-hmm. right? People are asking, like, why aren't you talking about this person or this mm-hmm. this incident? And, like, we want to talk about the broader concept and, and what those implications are for the work that we do in higher education. Right. right. And, and that's what's important. Now, there are some people, you know, uh, there's lots of tea to spill, but I would rather talk to them personally about, you know, who they are and sort of how they show up in that tea. Mm-hmm. But for a space like this, I think it's more, you know, relevant to kind of deal with the issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Lori, our, our time with you is is coming to an end. And one thing that we do with all of our guests is this this thing called a speed round. And in the speed round, mm-hmm. Shauna and I are going to give you two options and you have to pick the first one that comes to mind or that you lean towards. Oh, OK. So first question, Tina Turner or Winnie Houston? Tina. Mm. Honey or sugar? Honey. Hip hop or R&B? Oh, that's a hard one. Oh, I'm going to say R&B. Annalise Keating or Olivia Pope? Oh, y'all are killing me. <laughs> um, oh, Annalise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. East St. Louis or Naptown? Did you say East St. Louis? as in East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh-huh. Yeah, East St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a nap rat. Right, you know what? I've been here a long time, but you know, East St. Louis is my hometown. I know, I, I know, know, I know. Queen Sugar or Real Housewives of Atlanta? Queen Sugar, mm-hmm. all day. Charlie always trying to tell me not to wear these clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> We really appreciate you, the work um, that you do that is seen and all the work that you do that you don't get recognition for. So thank you. um, And we appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you all again for, you know, creating this platform. I think it is awesome. Thank you. Oh, we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. So early in May, folks started circulating a video on social media where black students graduating from the University of Florida in Gainesville appeared to be physically removed from the stage in an aggressive manner by the commencement marshal. Most students who were removed were black. The students were demonstrative as they crossed the stage. Most were strolling, stepping, and were throwing their black Greek letter organization signs. The president issued an apology It was weak as hell. Mm -hmm. And the University of Florida tweeted, the university is proud of the achievements of every single one of our graduates and regrets that any celebration of the day may have been diminished by those monitoring a graduation ceremony. And several folks chimed in and had things to say. Blondie Mama said, one would think that after four years, thousands of dollars, you could have your moment to celebrate in front of family and friends. I guess the lawsuits will get you your money back and pay off them student loans. Lowest to you. For all the people who say it's not a race issue, you're wrong. We continue to witness how differently black people are treated than whites doing the same behaviors. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And these are like folks, like they're all over. There are different types of people. Like I think presumably people would assume that these people are black, but no, they're from all over. They're all different types of individuals. Uh, Steve Walker Jr. 82 wrote, besides the clear racial discrimination, I feel there should be a charge of assault against the marshal for each student that was forcibly moved off the stage. I feel this would send a message that putting your hands on someone in this way is simply not acceptable. 
Patriot returned. Guess they couldn't just walk across the stage like normal people. Had to jump around like some sort of animal. But let's blame the school. Ryan Gator for life. This isn't a race issue. They did the exact same thing to everyone as they were warned not to do anything extra. Quit trying to turn everything in a racial debate. And that's exactly what was written. While it wasn't right, we don't need to classify it as racist and bend facts. HBCU Digest. Black students at the University of Florida have their moments stolen by an aggressive commencement marshal. That's not really a thing at HBCUs, though. Hashtag HBCU. And Rock Nink. This is dumb. As in, this wasn't wrong. You want to stroll? Do it in a talent show. It seems as though people are falling all over the map on this one. Some people think the students should, quote unquote, have more home training. Others believe this is a moment of joy. And without knowing what it took to be able to stroll, walk, strut, watutsi across the stage, we ought to allow graduates a moment to relish their accomplishment. A few other videos actually were posted recently celebrating the ways black graduates have utilized creativity in walking across the stage. One woman even turned the stage into her personal catwalk and honey, she slayed. So what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I was trying to remember my undergraduate graduation. I went to a large institution like a University of Florida. And I don't remember going across the stage at the large graduation. I remember the College of Arts and Sciences stand up <laughs> and they conferred our degrees. I walked across the stage, I guess, at the college graduation. But I was like, I don't remember that large of a stage. Sorry. Couple thoughts. <laughs> President was sitting right there the whole time. Every one of them people got dragged off. People diminished. You didn't care about that until you got some backlash because this was circulated on social media, right? So this interest convergence bullshit, like you save it, right? Like just really save it. You thought it was just fine for these people to get dragged off one by one when you were sitting there perched on the stage. Mm -hmm. But now it's a problem that people's days were ruined, right? So I have problems with that whole administrative leadership response. So this is where I think it's problematic for like the hopping, the the calling and all that is the person after you when their name can't be heard. I think that takes away from them, their experience. Like if it's going to happen, then let it happen. But as an announcer, they want to keep it going. But I would hope the announcer would give respect to the next person coming behind them so they can hear their name being called and their family to celebrate them as well. Mm. I just know if you ever touch me and mine, you get these paws. They were that, dragging. <laughs> they were dragging. I don't, that's not funny. That's it's not, not funny necessarily my forte, right? Like I did walk across the stage three different times mm -hmm. and I just walk. And actually one time I was pregnant in heels. And so I walked very carefully, mm -hmm. right? That's not my MO, but they are 22 years old. Most of them, 21 years old. If they can't shimmy a little because they just gave you thousands of dollars so they could shimmy, man, get out of here. I think that people get real caught up and what ceremony is and could be and means. And I think I saw and heard a lot of people talking about how, you know, they should respect the process. They should respect the ceremony and have some dignity. And I'm like, I think people take this stuff too seriously sometimes too. But that dignity is also rooted in respectability politics. Oh, totally. right? Like who gets to define oh, dignity completely. and dignity for whom, by whom. Completely. And so they can all miss me because I'm like, they party hop for three seconds. I don't think that warrants you putting your hands on someone. I'm sorry. And what? so what I appreciate Appreciated about the students. You saw the person before you get dragged off and you still went about your life and mm -hmm. did your thing. I appreciated that about the students. I just also wonder if the roles were reversed, how would this go? What roles are we reversing? Like if this was a person of color dragging white folks off stage. Oh. How would that go? People were like, oh, well, this is fine. They, they should have been acting right. Stop acting like quote unquote animals. But if it were mm. a different situation, mm -hmm. if this was a, a marshal that was a person of color, mm -hmm. how would that have gone? And then where are all these values at then? Y'all can miss me. Babies, congratulations. We are very proud of you. Who knows what it took to get to where you Celebrate are. Celebrate your milestone. That's right. And don't let anybody steal your joy. And use an elbow or two next time. So <laughs> mm -hmm. violent. All right. So what's problematic this week is when people waste my time. <laughs> and this is in all aspects of life. Professional, personal. Have you talked about this already? Maybe just because. Briefly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like time being wasted because time is expensive and I can waste my own. I don't need you to waste it for me. So a couple of ways that people waste time is when professional setting, when meetings should be emails. You probably live this life more than I do. You, you have a meeting life. My meetings are like faculty, students, like, you know, large university meetings. 
I hate serving on committees where like, why are we in this space? Like there's no objective for the meeting. There's no outline or agenda for the meeting. Or the meeting is so brief that you, you could have sent these points out. The other thing is when people want to mask as if I'm getting input or this is a collaborative process when really mm -hmm. you already know what you want to do and you're not taking any of this feedback into account. Mm -hmm. To me, that you're wasting my time and my energy when I can be devoting to something else. Mm -hmm. What's your professional waste of time? Well, I mean, you nailed a lot of them. This is my, my mood for a reason because just even thinking about this past week and all the time sucks that were there, I'm sitting there like, nah, son, this can't be life. I had a situation where someone emailed me all this information, called me six times within a three hour time span. So I'm thinking this is an emergency. Mm -hmm. I pop into their office. They call other people into it and just reiterate everything that was in that email. And I was like, yo. And I looked at this person's supervisor like, why am I here for real? And that person had to look at me like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Because it was just. <laughs> It was an absolute utter waste of time. Right. I don't like it when people call meetings just so they can center their voices and magnify something that we're all already pretty well apparent on what you're thinking. Instead of it actually being a place of collaboration, it's a venting space. Mm, those could be toxic spaces. Mm -hmm. yeah. Personally, wasting time, mm -hmm. I would say, I talk about this travel group a lot. So there's an article that just came out that you can't travel with everybody. Mm -hmm. There's an article that came out everyone is not meant to go on vacation with. But I don't like it when people lead you on to believe that they're going to go on the trip and they really have no intention of ever going on the trip. Mm. So like for me, like I could see that, right? Like, oh, okay, this person's probably not going to go. I have to make plans, right? Like I have to do a budget for everybody. How much is everything going to cost? How many rooms do we need for Airbnb? So like for me, it's like wasting of time. You know you're not going, mm -hmm. right? Like that frustrates me. Mm -hmm. So that's my personal waste of time. Although for the record, I'll go if I have a year's notice because that's what I need. That's true. Only because I scheduled out my year already. Okay, so 2019. Okay. 2019 to 2020. Mm -hmm. I want to do a 35th birthday trip international. Okay. So giving you and Charles fair warning. I think John and I might do a collaborative trip. Okay. I just need, you know, some time. I won't announce the country because people right. be asking. I just need a timeline. My personal thing with time waste, I am impatient to the extent that I have tattoos on my wrist to remind me to be patient. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like waiting. Right. I have a car, so I don't have to depend on someone to get to where I need to be. Mm -hmm. I've heard this argument once like you took all that time um, and then now you're ready to go and you rush at me. And I'm like, no, I told you I'm leaving at this time. And if you didn't see me moving or doing whatever, it's because I actually budget my time pretty well. So mm -hmm. if it's time to go, I said five o'clock, I'm going to leave and I might leave you. Don't like lay around. OK, I'm getting in my chest don't lay around like looking at me trying to figure out what i'm gonna do you make sure you out the door when i said we leaving just in general like so that's an example but i just don't like to wait yeah, yeah. you know if there's a project and we said we were going to do something if we're going to this club whatever if we said we're going to do it let's do it i've never met a more go-getter than than you <laughs> thank you i get it from tbj Sunday, say are we doing this podcast or no nah? <laughs> <laughs> Hence, we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, don't, yeah, don't waste my time to also demonstrate that I have a heart. I'm willing to give my time, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is the one thing I will be willing to give to someone if they are authentic and wanting it. Yeah. So there's that. So I listened to an old episode and I sounded horrible when I said I had to schedule time to talk on the phone with my <laughs> friends. Because you don't like talking. And you, yeah. And you're like, you have to schedule time for your friends? <laughs> I sound like a heartless person. <laughs> but I make time and invest in those I do care about. So I just want to clarify that. Exactly. <laughs> and also don't waste it. Exactly. I'm not now I'm about to sit on the phone with uh -huh. you and Kiki uh -huh. about loving hip hop. No, we're not no, oh, that's I not might, what we're about to on the phone I for. I might need that one day. Okay, well just text me first. Yeah, and then we can because when the text and then I'm like, okay, let me just call you real quick. <laughs> Anyways. Let's get to these jokes <clears throat> of the week. So I had to clear my throat because... Let me <clears throat> clear my throat. This is going to take some, <clears throat> some talent. <clears throat> Are you ready? I think so. Okay. I'm trying to get myself ready. What did 50 Cent say to his grandma after she gave him a sweater? We're Vivica Fox. No. Gee, unit. <laughs> what is Whitney Houston's favorite kind of coordination? 
I want to dance with somebody. Hand eye. Hand eye coordination. <laughs> AI. I, 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 I can't. Uh, maybe I should take a pitch down. That it would have been funny if I said "hand eye." You could have heard fine. better. It was, hand, it was fine. The first one is just fine. I <laughs> okay. Who's Drake's favorite superhero? Ghost writer. Oh, <laughs> that's a shady one. <laughs> this one's for you. Why do cows have hooves instead of feet? Mm. Because they lack toes. <laughs> Final. What did the cars? <laughs> what did the car salesman shout in church? Hallelujah! Should have bought a Honda. <laughs> uh-huh. So, congrats to the following graduates: Glenna Anderson, Kendrick Davis, Hey, Cherie Finley, Judith Gill, Samuel, Sammy Prater, Shonda Riley Steele. Sis, Ashley Roberts, and Dion Young. Congratulations. So, Maya Angelou shares with us, you can only become accomplished at something you love. Don't make money your goal. Instead, pursue the things you love doing and then do them so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. For this week, think about how do we constantly refocus and recenter and prioritize doing something we love? How do we center love as the goal in our lives? Thinking about your definition of love this week, how does this show up in your life and in your work? That's the Scholar Tea this week. That was so good. Have a great week. 